Hello there, I'm Paul Church, the director of the Anemo Group, a tech, data and digital talent solution. This is our podcast, Talent and Growth, where we get insights from talent leaders on their challenges and solutions to all things attraction and retention related. In this episode, I interview Suf Baelish, the head of talent at Usecomma, and we're going to be talking about how to manage stakeholders. You can be the best recruiter in the world, but unless you've got that management of stakeholders down, your life's going to be very, very difficult. And Suf talks us through exactly how to get that done. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello there. Um, today I'm joined by Suf Bailesh, and today we're going to be talking about how to manage stakeholders. So, so important um, that the whole ecosystem for recruitment runs as efficiently as possible, which means you need to win the hearts and minds of stakeholders and manage them effectively. And that's why we've got Suf in today. Suf, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, really well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. And uh, I did talk about it before we went on air, but just to congratulate you as being uh, part of the Talent 100 Most Influential Talent and HR Professionals in the UK 2022. 2022, how's it feel? Yeah, really weird. <laughs> uh, it obviously proves um, that I'm doing something right and I'm being recognised for it. So came completely out of the blue, but I'm really, really proud of myself, if I'm honest. Fantastic. So you should be well done. Well, look, it'd be great if we just start off by you just giving me a little bit of uh, background on your journey um, into your current role and position at Comma. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in the talent space for a little over seven years now, and I pretty much fell into it, as do 90% of other people that, that go into recruitment. So I was studying my A-levels, chemistry, biology, maths. Um, working part-time in Waitrose and decided didn't want to go to university, didn't know what I wanted to do, didn't want to rack up loads of debt without actually being able to utilise the education that I've uh, been provided with. Um, so I was actually talking to a customer in Waitrose um, and he just suggested recruitment. I completed an internship for about four months and the rest is history. So just to talk about the types of positions I've been in, the companies, et cetera. So I've pretty much done everything there is when it comes to, to recruitment. I've recruited for sales individuals, marketing, finance, pretty much everything non-tech. Um, and I've also dabbled with the software engineering side, the technology side of the business as well. Everything from seed stage companies right the way through to IPO. So I've pretty much seen everything that needs to happen when it comes to scalability and growth um the good the bad the ugly um my role here at comma as head of talent is really looking after that recruitment function we're about 21 people at the moment um when i joined we were about 11 or 12 um so even in a short amount of time like three or four months um we've 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 got ambitious growth plans um, my role is pivoting slightly in the new year, so I will be promoted to head of people um, to look after more so the people operations, the people side and the culture. Um, but yeah, that is pretty much um, it in a nutshell. Uh, Comma is definitely the smallest company that I've worked with, it with before, but I'm a huge advocate for startups and I will probably be in a startup for the rest of my life. Fantastic. And, and congratulations on the upcoming promotion then, as it were. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I think I've always wanted to 
dabble into that people side of things because I, I think, you know, people are so, so important and integral to a company's success. So to me, it is just a natural progression path for me. And how's that talent team made up right now? Is it just yourself? Or have you got anyone else working with you? So I've got a fantastic technical um, talent manager called Jake. Um, the idea is to train him up to then take after my role as head of talent. Um, we will be growing the team even more in the new year. So we'll be looking for tech sources. We'll be looking for a commercial talent partner as well to look after the sales team. Um, and we're also going to be looking at um, some talent associates to really go into the data and the nooks and crannies of processes and, and, and how we can make that better. Fantastic. All right, cool. So let's dive into today's subject then. So managing stakeholders. So let's just firstly, just quickly make sure we're all clear, singing from the same hymn sheet. Let's define what we mean by stakeholders. Yes. So the way that I would describe a stakeholder is essentially a person or a group of people who are actively involved in an initiative and a placement of a role, project, whatever they may be, and whose interests may be positively or negatively be affected by the outcome of that role project initiative. Now, that I have actually taken from um, a project management um, definition of what a stakeholder is, but actually I like to think of talent and recruitment as mini projects. So every role that you're taking on, you should be acting as though it is a mini project. So you should almost be thinking of them as internal clients. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to look at it. And what, what, what are often problems that come up for talent acquisition when working with stakeholders? I would probably say the biggest problems really stem from the lack of understanding expectations and the restricted flow of, of information, whether that be from talent to stakeholder or stakeholder to talent. And this is why it is so, so fundamentally crucial that when you're um, starting um, working on these types of roles, it's so, so important that you're managing those expectations from the offset because then there, there are no question marks in terms of, well, I expected X, Y, and Z to be done, but you presented A, B, and C. Um, I can guarantee you that if you set your expectations from both sides, it will make both parties' lives easier. And that stems from you know, communication, I'll, I'll run into the list of, of stakeholder management in a little bit, but even with communication, um, I previously have, um, every Friday, I would send an activity report to all of my stakeholders in which I'm working um, for, and it pretty much highlights the activity, the applications, the outreach messages versus um talent screening versus final stages, offer, offer accepted, et cetera, et cetera. Essentially running them through the whole funnel. Um, some hire managers, that's perfectly acceptable. Some hire managers, they expect an update every single day. Um, so it's it's really managing those expectations and making sure that it's it's feasible for both parties. Fantastic. Okay. And is there anything else we could do to paint that picture of what really good stakeholder management looks like? 
I would probably, I'd actually probably split it up in, into multiple different steps or points to remember. So the first thing that you need to do is actually identify who your stakeholders, stakeholders are going to be, who are going to be in, impacted by the outcome, who should you be liaising with or be giving updates to, um, and who is involved in the in the actual approval process. Um, and when it comes to working a role, obviously, the higher manager is going to be an integral stakeholder, but you've also got HR, you have finance, you have the C-level executives, um, which will be directly or indirectly affected by this role as well. The second point to point out is communication. So identifying the best mediums for communicating with your stakeholder. Some may prefer synchronous communication. Others may prefer asynchronous communication. And it's really down to you as a talent professional to help your stakeholders define how they would best work with you. The third point is data collection and presenting data. You need to understand what data are you going to relay to your stakeholders? What are they really going to care about? So, for example, the hire manager will care about getting that bum in that seat um, and getting the best possible talent there is, regardless of how you get them. Finance manager would obviously be uh, looking more so at the most cost effective way of attracting and acquiring that talent within that business. So you really need to think about what data is going to be important to different stakeholders within that process. The fourth thing would be analysis and holding retrospectives without analysing your own professional relationship with your stakeholders, how successful that project or initiative has been, the methods used, etc. You, you just simply can't improve and it will be very difficult to improve and maintain stakeholder engagement. And that's what it's really all about. When you really deep dive into um, what good stakeholder management looks like, it's all about stakeholder engagement. Would this person want to work with you in the future? Is there a clear cohesion? Is there collaboration? Is there two-way open and honest communication? Um, if you do all of the above um, four points, it, it does equate to a transparent and open working relationship with very, very clear definitions of accountability. What is a talent professional um, accountable for? What is the hiring manager accountable for and it's aligning your communication with the interests of your stakeholder and that will produce very very efficient results i mean yes some great input there and i think um, for me one of the takeaways is that for, for talent it's just not one size fits all you cannot treat every stakeholder the same can you you have to be adaptable and you have to you have, you, they're, they're your clients aren't they mm -hmm. absolutely you you've hit the nail on the head it's think of yourself as, as a salesperson with different clients different clients have different needs and you wouldn't just sell a blanket approach to absolutely every single customer or client that you have. This is the reason why there are some bespoke um, solutions out there, especially in the SaaS world. Um, so absolutely not one size does not fit all, unfortunately, as easy as it will make your life. Absolutely. And so what kind of, are there any examples of some tricky situations you found yourself in with stakeholders and, and how do you overcome them? Yes, good question. So the one that really pops into my head um, was I was working with a global um, head of operations, chief operations officer, and 
one of the one of the most difficult parts of that working relationship was that she was actually based in San Francisco, which is an eight hour time difference. Um, her management style was very much micromanagement and that was that was seen throughout the whole company it wasn't anything new um, but it was very very difficult for me to at the time really showcase how best to work with her so we were actually recruiting we were building a whole team we were recruiting for about seven or eight individuals in her team and she was the type of person who wanted everything done immediately which is what all hiring managers want they want bums in seats yesterday um but essentially what i did was i i i i spoke her through all of all of my activity including her roles including roles outside of her team to really paint a picture that one i am not just working on her role solely um you know i i, I have to manage her expectations as um as an individual to say hey look your role is really really important and i'm doing my utmost to ensure that we get the right people at the right time as quickly as possible however there are all of these other roles and stakeholders that i also need to manage and pretty much take her through the priority of those roles as well so one thing that i actually suggested was because there were seven or eight um different well they were the same role but there were multiple of them I actually suggested um compiling an assessment center where we can just um put people in one room assess them in one day and hopefully over a couple of days we will be able to to solidify uh, solidify those roles for her um she undenied about it and she wasn't she wasn't too enthused by by that because she's ne she'd never seen it work before um, but I presented some data of when I'd done it before, and this is why data is key when you're handling um, difficult or any any hiring manager, actually. Um, I took her through the expectations of her as a hiring manager versus me as, as a talent professional. Um, and we completed the assessment centre. It was really, really successful. Um, and one thing to actually point out, actually, is that she was one of those hire managers who expected an update every single day and i actually took her through the timeline of how long it took me to compile my activity report how long it took me to send it to her etc cetera, etc cetera. and it took if i were to do it every single day it took such a significant amount of time that that time that i was using to give her an update i could have actually been spending on filling those roles so when you when you kind of allow them to realize that their actions um, and behaviors are directly impacting the outcome in a negative fashion, it's far easier for them to think, hmm, actually, maybe I should back off and let's see what what happens over the next two weeks. Um, and it was successful. Um, but my my God, it was difficult <laughs> to do it at the time. Yeah, it sounds it. And, and you, you touched on it. You've touched on it a few times, I suppose, a little bit. But what, what, what are the different types of stakeholders? If we generalise, we start putting people in little boxes. What are the different types of stakeholders we typically come across? I would like to say that there are three main types of stakeholders. And these are just phrases that I've concocted myself. So please don't come at me. But I would say the first one is your helicopter parent, your micromanager, the one who is always 
for lack of a better word, suffocating you with what are you doing? When am I going to have my person? I need them today, et cetera, et cetera. Your second one, which is, in my opinion, more annoying uh, and difficult to deal with are your nonchalant, carefree ones where, you know, giving feedback on, on candidates isn't at the top of their priority. They're quite lackadaisical and it, it just takes forever to, to get anywhere with them. And then the third one are your emerging stakeholders. So these are your new hiring managers, your new managers. And these are my favorite types of, of stakeholders because I can really teach and guide them from the get-go and instill best practices. Um, but yes, I would I'll probably say, let me let me talk you through how I actually manage each different type of, of, of stakeholder. So for your helicopter parent, it is all about managing your expectations. And again, a very, very good example is one that I've just explained about taking them through that journey of, okay, well, if your expectations are X, Y, and Z, this is what I can deliver for you. Um, so it's really taking them back to what you can deliver as a person, as a talent professional, um, but still aligning it with what they're looking for. Um, the second one, which is the nonchalant carefree one, is a little bit harder to kind of drill into um, the importance of making sure that they're an integral part of that recruitment process. And this is, I think, particularly for this type of stakeholder, they forget that everybody in a business, it's everybody's responsibility when it comes to attracting talent and for the recruitment process. The onus should not just be on the talent professional. Of course, they're the, they're the subject matter expert, but everyone has their part to play. And the way that I manage those um, types of stakeholders is, again, taking them through that journey. So I say, right, okay, you're not going to give me feedback within 48 hours. That is then going to tarnish our brand. It's not going to give great candidate experience. And in turn, people speak. So in turn, the amount of applications or the amount of outreaches that are, um, are we get responses for are going to reduce. What does that mean? It means that your existing, let's say they're in sales, for an example, your existing sales team will have to do um, a hell of a lot more work to get up to those those sales targets. What does that do? It then creates burnout for them. What does that do? People then start um, going sick, or they they don't they don't perform properly, and all of a sudden you've got a really healthy, strong team of ten salespeople, but the capacity that they're working at is really only four or five people. So it's really again flipping their mentality of how is my, how are my actions directly going to affect recruitment and how is that directly going to affect me as a manager because ultimately if their team isn't performing the c-level execs aren't going to come for the team they're going to go for the manager um so it's really instilling that that urgency of i actually need to get my for lack of a better word my shit together uh, and i you know i need to make sure that i'm working with the talent team to ensure that we're getting um we're getting these um, these candidates through the door. And then the emerging one is, is really all about teaching and guiding and coaching them through the process. And as I said, that's easier because you have a blank canvas to work with. Um, yeah, that's what I would say about that. 
You're really insightful. I'm, I'm hope, hopefully there's some stakeholders listening right now thinking, oh, that's me. That's me. You just, just called me out. Um, is there anything else we could talk about in terms of what you can do to help teach your hiring managers to better themselves? Any, anything else around that area at all? Yes. So, again, what I've what I've done is, is I've really spoken about how the talent expert should be adapting to the hiring manager's way of working. But that can only really take you so far. And it's just not feasible, especially when you have multiple stakeholders, multiple roles, multiple deadlines. It is a two-way relationship and the onus should be splitting between yourself and the stakeholder. So as I mentioned before, it's about guiding them through the implications and the impact of different stakeholder behaviour behavior, and the differences between good and bad stakeholder management. Um, one thing that I would actually say from, from a talent perspective is we actually need to be asking the right questions to allow our stakeholders to extract the answer themselves. It's one thing to just iterate information and hopefully pray that it's being absorbed and that the stakeholders are listening but you you've just got no guarantee that they are actually listening to you unfortunately but when your stakeholders have to and are made to think about their actions they're far more likely to understand it from their own point of view and as I said before it's it's putting um, themselves in a place where they are starting to understand the differences between good and bad stakeholder management from their point of view and how they should actually um, almost stakeholder manage themselves um, to ensure that, that there's, there's that cohesion. Um, interestingly, I've actually seen in previous companies where um, the hire managers are, are assessed by the, by the talent team. Um, not sure whether that's a step too far, but it, it it does get good information because if you've got a large talent team and you're constantly being fed this information of how they feel their working relationship is with certain hire managers, you can start to collate that data and you can start to really pinpoint what the training needs are for, for good stakeholder management and good hiring managers. You can start to see whether it is a certain individual, certain teams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I would say also data is key, by the way. Um, data is absolutely key when you're when you're presenting all of this and, and you're guiding and coaching them through that. Um, yeah. And a couple of follow-up questions on that. Um, do you think that – actually, let's go to the data one. So it, it, you mentioned different people are going to need different types of data. Is there any go-tos that everyone – your go-to bits of data that you always will have ready, for the, regardless of what type of stakeholder it is you're going to, your absolute go-tos? What, what does people need to have in their, in their pocket? Good question. The first one I would say would be conversion rates. And this is – conducive to everybody within that process because it affects different people in a different way so conversion rates for hiring managers they can start to identify a all of the background work that's happening before a candidate actually ends up on their desk or they're interviewing them um, so it gives them a sense of hmm for these helicopter parent stakeholders hmm, maybe i should back off because work is actually being done uh, conversion rates from 
initial hire and manager phone conversation, for example, through to final, it gives an indication of are we being too lenient? Are the is the assessment criteria effective enough? Are we being too harsh? Is the exercise or task that we're asking these candidates to, com- to complete, is it actually beneficial? Are we extracting what we need to from that? And then, of course, um, the offer acceptance rate is really, really important because if we're putting all of this effort into um, offering a fantastic candidate, but they are turning us down for another company, we need to identify the reasons why. Um, and hopefully you don't have to go back to the drawing board. Hopefully you do have other candidates in the repertoire um, that, that you can quite easily pull into that process. Um, but the reason why the conversion rate is so, so important is, A, for the hiring manager to, to learn about the interview process. B, for the finance team to understand and work out the costs of let's say there's a, there's a gap in the team and there's nobody actually doing that role and somebody else has to step in or there's just not that skill set within the business. For them, it's an indicator of what is this actually costing the business? If we're not fulfilling this role or this skill set within an X amount of time, what detriment does that have to company growth, to company revenue, et cetera, et cetera? So I'd say conversion rates all the time. You should always be assessing what your conversion rates are. Um, other pieces of data is it's really on an ad hoc basis dependent on what, what you're trying to achieve. And that is the question that you need to ask yourself when you're presenting the data is, What are you trying to achieve? What is the narrative that you're trying to tell your stakeholders when presenting that data? Um, So, yeah, that is that is a difficult one to answer in all honesty, Paul. But I would I would probably say conversion rates is definitely, definitely up there. Cool. No, I think you answered it very well. Thank you. Um, and then the final question is, so there's something I always see and I think is underrated is that I don't think people understand sometimes, and I see this in recruitment, um, mm. how important it is to manage internal relationships. And I think we like to have this idea that everyone's just going to do their jobs and the, and the cogs are going to turn no matter what, but we're all, we're all human beings. We're all, you know, emotional, emotional messes or whatever. So it's really underrated, I think, how much you have to win people over. And if, from your experience in in in, in TA functions in businesses, do you have you do you think there's a I suppose there's not enough emphasis on actually winning stakeholders over to make your life a lot easier? Yeah, absolutely. I think winning stakeholders is really is really what it boils down to because hopefully you are seen as the person who is the talent expert but if you're not providing them with information if you're not working with them day in day out to really understand again it's all about those expectations um you will you will just never ever be credible to them Uh, and again this is why in order to win stakeholders over unfortunately data has to be a part of that because Data is absolutely key when it comes to change, persuasion, influence, anything like that. And it, it can and, and should be used, as I've mentioned before, to facilitate your, your narrative. Um, people are far more likely to listen or trust what you say with evidence. Unfortunately, the perception is often 
an opinion is just an opinion. It can be changed, it can be altered, it can be shot down, whereas facts are facts. Um, I would, however, say there is a slight caveat to that. You can collate all of your data and present it to stakeholders or present it to your peers or colleagues. And for that still not to feel right. And that is what an empathetic leader or influencer does is it gathers all of the data and it makes an informed decision. Okay, well, this is what the data is telling us. Is this right for our business? Is this right for this role? And sometimes the answer is just no. So, you know, if there's one piece of advice that I would want people to take away is that, yes, when we're in talent and recruitment, it is hammered into our brains that data is absolutely everything. And in some respects it is, but it doesn't mean to say that you have to follow what every other uh, company does or what every other person does. If it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right. At least you've explored all of those avenues. Um, and also in terms of winning stakeholders over, I would probably say just being open and transparent. If they ask you a question and you genuinely don't know the answer, please don't try and blag it because you will get found out and you know your reputation will be tarnished and they just won't trust you. I mean, would you if you thought that somebody lied to you? I mean, I know I wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely not. And and in terms of that data, is any are there any tools or pieces of software that you think uh, stand out as being good for recording, measuring, and then presenting that data? Any go tos people can pick up quite quickly or easily? I think the first one for everybody is utilize your ATS, your applicant tracking system, to its fullest potential. Um, I've seen it be used in a really, really effective way. I've seen it be used in a not so effective way. Um, but having a really, really strong ATS is fundamental to scalability, to growth, to presenting data to, to stakeholders. Um, so you really need to make sure that yourself and your talent team are absolutely utilizing it to its absolute fullest potential. Um, there are other tools and softwares out there, um, again, dependent on, on what you're trying to showcase. So when it's, you know, when you look at uh, candidate experience, for example, and you want to showcase that data, uh, there are specific software that can plug and play into your ATS where that's all automated. A candidate is comes out of that recruitment process, they get a survey straight away. If you're trying to look at different salaries in different geographies if you're trying to you know break into a new market there are different softwares and, and platforms that you that you can use um honestly just use google it's 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 helped me so much in my seven years in recruitment i don't know the answer you google it and nine times out of ten you will find a piece of software or platform that can that can facilitate you getting to that answer and extracting that data Fantastic. So setting off to everybody to use that brand new piece of software called Google, aren't we? So uh, <laughs> no, fantastic. Thanks, Surf. That's great. Um, final question for you. You obviously know so much about recruitment and the talent industry. Where do you tend to go to get your information from? Where would you send people if people are looking to upskill themselves or their knowledge? Uh, where's some good forums or books or anything like that you'd recommend people? I... I'm an average book reader when it comes to this. My, my partner laughs at me because my... My um my bookshelf in in my study is not full of 
fiction, but it's all about how Google has implemented their <laughs> culture and things like that. So um, there, there's one um, good book that I would recommend, and it's uh, I can't re- exactly remember the title, but it's about oh the robot recruiter or something like that, where it's talking about all of the data, uh, all of the new platforms and the pieces of software that um, are are being implemented day in day out, even when it comes to you know video interviews that are pre-recorded and things like that and it's it's all about using technology but not losing the human element of talent and I think that's really really important as as more and more technology startups um, occur more and more SaaS etc etc it's just the way that the world's going but let's not forget that if you are dealing with people you should be a person and you should treat that person as a human being that's that's one really really good one another one is um powerful um by the ex um, chief people officer at netflix that's really really good about culture and and things like that so that's a really really good read fantastic i've just got the other book here so it's the robot proof recruiter a survival guide for recruitment and sourcing professionals by katrina collier so there you go get that one in your in your christmas stocking um perfect so thanks so much um if anybody wants to pick your brain or get some advice from you what's the best way for them to contact you absolutely uh linkedin is probably the best if not um they can have my email address which is surf at usecomma.com Fantastic. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, If you've enjoyed this episode, all I ask is that you share it with one other person. We'll grow the community and I'll catch you next time. Suf, thanks so much. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Paul.